Welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with friends of the podcast EY and all about the concept of social inflation and what that means for insurance and the role of captives. Over the next 20 minutes, we will hear from John Ferreira and Jim Bulkowski, both senior managers for insurance and actuarial advisory services at EY, and Mikhail Rabstein, partner and co-leader of EY America's Captive Insurance Services. John begins by explaining what the term social inflation refers to and why it is becoming increasingly relevant for the insurance marketplace, before Jim tells us how captives are becoming involved through new coverages, and Mike explains the tax considerations for captive owners and their captives. Yeah, the big thing with social inflation is it has no precise definition, but it generally refers to higher total volume of dollars being associated with liability claims, particularly larger value claims. And there's basically some phenomena that are associated with social inflation. There's an increased propensity for claim litigation. There's a broader interpretation of what constitutes insurance coverage. There's been plaintiff-friendly legal decisions. There's been increasing values of claim settlements and jury awards, particularly associated with larger claims, and there's an increased propensity to bring a claim. So so with this as a backdrop, recent jury interviews where social inflation is deemed to exist basically highlight the importance of, of a belief in social justice, which is very prevalent today in today's world, and that, you know, somebody should pay a reasonable level of compensation for injured parties, and that should be significantly higher than what it previously was. And probably over a five-year time horizon, we've seen larger settlements increase pretty dramatically. So, you know, that's when social inflation has reared its head. And and you see a big influence of social media, you know, um, influencing corporations to behave in a responsible manner and take the defensible position. So, you know, Maybe 50 years ago, 40 years ago, you'd see companies making cost-benefit analyses of um, potential liability for defective products. Those, those days are really long gone. And the general composition of juries is deemed to be relevant as well. As um, you know, millennials seem to have a higher feeling and distrust for corporations and, and, and the social awareness. And some of these studies have even gone far reaching and said, well, you know, in today's social media world where people get texts and, and, and they rapid file respond to emails and texts that, you know, the attention span is maybe lower of a juror and, um, and lengthy, lengthy testimony may result in larger jury awards because people will just lose interest. You know, you see corporations integrating with social mi- missions and being more responsible ethically and and then and all this you know the jury compositions the social awareness the company behavior all this tends to lead to this this reason that one should be compensated at higher values and and more things should be brought up in for claims the other big thing you notice you know is when you look at salaries and salaries of average workers versus salaries of you know CEOs and higher paid celebrities Salaries over a 40-year period for higher-level people, I think, grew by 940% for CEOs, you know, where the average worker, you know, didn't make that kind of compensation. So what's a larger award has grown for younger people that have lived in this environment where 
CEOs, salaries, and sports athletes and entertainers has grown by a significant amount. What constitutes a high level of, of pay and, and restitution has grown as well. And that, and that has an influence in, in the social inflation phenomenon. And, you know, the one thing to be aware of is, well, okay, you have social inflation, you have larger claims, which increasing, which is probably the biggest impact. You know, these become the precedents for further larger claims because, you know, people look back on previous settlements when they shoot for and they target new settlements. Things that are also relevant are nuclear settlements and third-party litigation funding. And nuclear settlements are basically claim settlements that are, that are seen as being very high in, in relation to past settlements and what is deemed to be a reasonable um, level of compensation. And we particularly see these in auto cases, you know, where something bad happens in an auto accident. There may be obvious liability, they may not be, but a jury award comes back at, 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 at an amount that no one could have ever fathomed. And a lot of these claims now are being hired, um, being funded by third party litigation. So, you know, an investment company may come in and back the lawyers that have a high case and they may get a part of the of the settlement. And it enables the, the litigants and the people making the case to, to not settle right away. They, they have a, a bankroll, they're funded, you know, they could take these claims longer and, and, and go for a longer period of time and, and not settle at a smaller amount. The, the last probably relevant thing about social inflation is with the COVID impact is social inflation has really been on hiatus. We've seen more favorable settlements since COVID happened. The courts have been shut down. People may need more money. And there's been a, a break in the action with social inflation over the COVID time period. The larger claims have moderated. There's been a lack of activity due to slowdown in the economy, the courts being closed. And I think the most relevant question everyone's asking right now is, does the economy pick up? And if and when it does, does social inflation continue to escalate the way it, the way it had been before? This sort of temporary break in the action and hi hiatus. And if the economy gets back to what it should be, which some economists are forecasting, does social inflation take off again? I guess the other paradigm is, is claims inflation rates have moderated in bad or, or slow economic times or moderating economic times. If the economy does not pick up, does social inflation not rear its head? Great. Thanks, John. That's a, that's a really good summary for us, I think. Jim, from from your standpoint, as a kind of a consultant that works day to day with large organizations, uh, with, with captives, what new captive programs are you seeing being developed in relation to some of these emerging or developing risks in this in this new environment? Yeah, thanks, Richard. And I'll just touch uh, quickly on, on what John mentioned and tie it into captives. So just think of the backdrop. You know, the jury verdicts are up, you know, nuclear settlements, COVID-19 impact, rights and civil unrest, election uncertainty, you know, the worst hurricane season to start, um, an insurance hard market, and of course, social inflation. So when you combine all these events, it makes us here certainly you know, very difficult, you know, on many fronts. So what does all this and social inflation have to do with captives and new captive programs? Well, what impacts the commercial insurance markets impacts the captive markets. And the captives, captives in general, are quick to respond um, to insurance markets that are uncertain or when prices are going up or capacity is going down. 
An argument has actually been made that the hard market is a result of social inflation. It may be partly that, but it may be other contributing factors, such as I just mentioned, cat claims and low interest rates, etc. But given all this, there is certainly a resurgence of interest in captives across the board, from companies looking to form new captives to those that have captives looking to expand. So why is this? Social inflation is affecting many insurance types. As John mentioned, you know, auto, general liability, professional lines, employment practices, liability, medical malpractice, which has always been difficult, and directors and officers insurance. But just think about it. You sit on a board of a public company that has a relatively low profile, say a, a small retailer, a mid-sized retailer. One of your employees on video, of course, conducts themselves in such a way as to break a social norm, be it race, sexual discrimination, mask wearing. That goes viral. Blogs demand a boycott. Shirt price drops. And then when a shirt price drops, um, in come the lawyers and the lawsuits. As a DNO, going to look to your policy and probably want or demand more limits. More demand, same supply, prices go up. Now multiply this by 6,000 or 10,000. Another area in insurance is the trucking market, which has always been a difficult market, but there's been many cases recently where a reasonable man would have not found a large truck company at fault, but social trends and the change in, in society regarding social inflation have mandated a large settlement for you know the little guy. Given just these two examples, as well as a hard insurance market, of course, captive owners are looking for ways to use a captive to mitigate increased premiums and a lack of capacity. As we know, a captive can insure risk not available on the market or insurance is not reasonably priced. So what is a reasonable price for a captive insurance? An argument can certainly be made on many coverages to not only go with an actually determined premium, which is a, a, a safe way to, to price an insurance policy, but add an extra charge given the impacts of social inflation. Of course, staying within risk transfer boundaries. In many ways, paying more premium in a captive is a good thing if you can get management to agree. Certainly, you don't want to pay more to a commercial insurance carrier, but a captive where you're self-insuring, organized self-insurance can be a good thing. The increased premium adds to surplus to profitable underwriting, building a buffer for when you're on the wrong side of a large settlement, maybe due to that blogging I mentioned earlier or social jury type judgment. Also, there may be tax efficiencies of increased premiums, which Mike will talk about in a little bit. So let's talk more about some new and emerging risks. It may be not new, but certainly relooked at by companies in different and unique ways to hedge them. First, obviously, we have the pandemic. Now, if you think about a year ago, this was not much of a concern at all and hardly on anyone's radar. The risk has always been with us, but now we're really, really experiencing it. The last major outbreak was the Spanish flu in 1918, which actually killed more people than World War I, about 59 or 3 to 5% of the world's population. We've had relatively mild scares since, like SARS, West Nile, Ebola, swine flu, to name a few. So can all this be insured? Uh, the answer is yes. It's actually been a type of insurance pandemic that's in the commercial marketplace pre-COVID, um, but now there are more carriers trying to get into the marketplace. It's very expensive, um, but it's, and it's if you think about the core, it's another uh, form of business interruption. Like the business interruption you'd find in a commercial insurance policy, but pandemic is the trigger. 
at a fire, flood, or wind. Now here's the rub. The rate online is about 10%. So a limit of 1 billion to protect your income as a company would have a premium of about 100 million. So few companies right now are willing to pay a commercial carrier premium so large, perhaps thinking that after COVID-19, we're not gonna have another pandemic for 100 years or willing to take the risk given the, the premium. However, funding this risk in a captive is getting a lot of traction. We're seeing a lot of risk going into captives in that area. We see social inflation intersecting with this pandemic. The U.S. government is providing trains to keep small business afloat, provide enhanced unemployment benefits, and so are other countries throughout the world with their country legislation. Some U.S. state legislatures are trying to include business interruption due to pandemic in property insurance policies which is a negative precedent in that it really goes against our principles of contract law. There are already high defense costs by insurers, not only in lobbying efforts against us, but with policyholder lawsuits where the insured denied coverage. All this drives up insurance premiums and then drives up alternatives, which are our captives. Let me touch on a few more risks. We certainly all know about rioters and, and civil commotions. They're causing property damage across multiple states, and this is seemingly on a continual basis. This not only affects the property rate, but ripples through other lines as well. And it seems like there's a, a social or a internet type of um, backing behind this, which creates almost a spiral and, and more and more you know, damage. How insurers react to claims for this damage under policies may be affected by other social consideration, Will an insurer settle a claim quicker for a small business, you know, a mom and pop, as a tweet from them could easily go viral, as I discussed earlier, whereas maybe a large corporation would have restrictions or internal controls against such actions. And no one would really care if a multi-billion dollar company lost in a fight with an insurer, other than that company itself, of course. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, really nice. And I, I particularly like the fact that you emphasize that pandemic risk is insurable. We actually discussed this on last week's episode of the podcast. I think there's been a lot of um, misinformation regarding or, or, or nice headlines being produced about people uh, proclaiming that pandemics are not insurable, where that has that has not been a case in the past and it, it is not the pace, although, of course, it is difficult to insure. But Mike, uh, turning turning lastly now to the, to the tax side of this conversation, obviously, when captives uh, and their parents Parents are considering writing new types of, of risks uh, and, and developing de developing new products. There, of course, has to be some kind of uh, tax considerations to how to do this correctly. What are some of those considerations that, that captive owners need to keep in mind? Thanks, Richard. And, you know, I can't help but wonder if uh, part of the social inflation is just the ability to record and listen in and to recap everything right now with, the ability, you know, so many cameras and mobile phones and everything else versus you know, 10, 20 years ago when some of these things may have been happening and just not publicly available because there wasn't such an onslaught of uh, ability to instantly video capture or record something. But let's quickly recap on, on what we heard so far from John and Jeff. As we know, all changes to the market that drive the change in the risk profile and changes in the insurance market specifically will have ripple effects on captive insurance space. While there are no specific changes in general insurance qualifications for tax purposes that we need to discuss with respect to the plethora of new products or lines of business that hitting the captive space, it's the application of the qualification standards that we need to um, mention for a second. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, if not all of our listeners, heard plenty of times 
about the four prongs of the tax qualification test under subchapter L. The risk shifting, risk distribution, operating the arrangement under the common notions of insurance, and existence of insurance or insurable risk. But with the new products on the market and the, some of the products being design phase, as well as risk onshoring that we saw after the US dropped its tax rate to 21%, the lines of whether certain structures and products qualify as insurance are becoming increasingly blurred. While the courts have given us much needed guidance as to what would be considered insurance for tax purposes based on the 2014-2015 cases, there's still room for improvement and room for debate over the risks that can be insured, whether risks should be insured, and what makes such risk qualify as insurance risk for tax. We mentioned the socioeconomic events that are happening not only in the US, but seemingly around the world in various ways. How should insurance and capital insurers respond to that? Is commercial insurance market and its players are nimble enough to quickly adapt to needed coverage changes and provide options? History says no. It shows the usage of captives provides that flexibility and nimbleness for companies to address the onslaught of new risks and the need to cover such risks in order to operate businesses in an economically efficient and prudent way. With such market movements comes the consideration how and if certain new products or redesigned products, as you mentioned, will qualify as insurance for tax purposes where needed. The devil, as always, is in the detail. The key to qualification will be a deeper dive into two of the four prongs of the test specifically, risk shifting and risk distribution. Although it may appear intuitive, when we peel back the onion layers, it becomes less intuitive in terms of where the actual risks are, who is responsible, and who should be the insured. The process adds significant importance to have tax work streams plugged into every feasibility study from the get-go, not halfway through and not at the end. Such coordination is required regardless whether a client uses one consulting firm or multiple firms during the feasibility study. It will allow a client, such process will allow a client to have a full 360 degree view on what the final program will look like from all facets and where the benefits may be versus where benefits may be lost. The key will be in the detailed review of the risks, fortuity of such risks, and whether there is enough guidance for the tax advisor to be at least at the more likely than not level of comfort. The more complex the risk is, the more complex the potential liability for such risk, the more detailed and more in-depth the tax assessment will need to be to make sure that the transaction is properly structured and documented. On the heels of the general tax considerations, client also needs to start thinking about the upcoming elections, whether that will change some of the economics of the proposed transactions and what the general socioeconomic environment will be after November 3rd. As announced, Vice President Biden has a number of proposals that will change the current tax regime across the board. And that will impact both corporate and individual owners of the capital structures. So what are those some of these things? Potential tax rate increased to 28% from 21%. Minimum tax rate of 15% on book incomes of over $100 million. Repeal of certain CARES Act and TCJA provisions. Increase of top individual rate to 39.6% from 37 and potential elimination of lower cap capital gain and dividend rate for households with over $1 million income. These five items in one way, shape, or form will impact how clients, individuals, or corporations structure their arrangements going forward if uh, Vice President Biden takes office in, uh, in the November elections. The above will have a lot of implications on how tax planning around captive insurance structures and the net benefit considerations for both captive structures uh, for corporates and individuals will be looked at.
While we're yet to see the outcome of the election, whether or not some or version of the proposed provisions will be put in place, it's a food for thought for current and prospective owners. Added complexity of the current risk profile for most businesses continue to be the top of mind for risk managers, CFOs, treasurers, and others at the company. As always, strategic thinking and in-depth analysis paired with market-leading strategies of the industry consultants will help our clients avoid the pitfalls and have solid strategies for growth and expansion. Well, thank you to John, Jim and Mike for joining me on this latest GCP short. As ever, biographies of all of our speakers can be found on the globalcaptivepodcast.com website and more information is also available in the episode description. Stay safe, stay well and see you next time, captives. Captives.